This podcast is sponsored by Tecta America. Financially focused and results-oriented, Tecta maintains a local feel for the community and family. Welcome to the 13th and final episode in Season 1 of Stories of an Extraordinary Industry presented by the National Roofing Contractors Association. I am Jared Ribble, your host for this program. We're going to wrap up Season 1 in this episode, but we're going to do it a little differently. I think it is important to go back and revisit some of the 12 or so stories we have told this season, highlight a few moments, and peel back the curtain a little bit to some surprise moments and unique insights. To help me today, I am bringing to you a very special guest, the show's executive producer, Reed Ribble, who also happens to be NRCA's CEO. For those of you that may notice, we do share the last name. We are, in fact, related. Reed Ribble is my dad. So to my dad, Reed Ribble, welcome to Stories of an Extraordinary Industry for this special wrap-up edition podcast. I had been working for NRCA in our education and pro certification departments uh, for about a year or so, and you made an offhanded comment at some Labor Day barbecue that you wanted NRCA to do a podcast. I brushed it off, my plate was very full, but you continued to mention it to me casually a few times. Why was it so important to you that NRCA launched this podcast series? That's a great question, and it's in part because having spent 35 years involved with NRCA, I was on their board of directors, I was past chairman of the board, I got to meet and know a lot of really great people in the industry, but these people had just amazing stories, and there were some very incredible stories that were out there, and I thought, man, why, why can't we tell some of these stories? I think, I think there's some folks that would be uh, interested in it and be inspired by them. So you grabbed your handheld recorder and recorded a conversation with Nick Sabino, and it was that conversation which turned into our inaugural episode, House Flipper to Roofing Industry Leader. What surprised you about Nick Sabino's story? Nick is a true self-made guy. He started this roofing company on his own, something I can't relate to because I bought my company from my dad. And a lot of companies are multi-generational, but Nick was the, the, the starting point of his company. I was going out and I was, you know, talking to friends and family and, hey, if you need any roof work, I've got a guy. And, and, and I, that's how I learned the trade, really. And there was this one poignant moment in the, in the uh, podcast, I remember it really clear, where, where he said, I, I, you know, I started out with one truck. And, and then I bought another truck. And um, I, I never dreamed that it, it, would, it would last. Today, we have over 100 trucks. And I thought... Wow, what, what a story to tell here. The next person you chose to interview was a gentleman from Southern California, Charles Antis. Why did you choose him? You know, when I came to NRCA for the first six months, my predecessor, Bill Good, uh, served as my mentor. He worked part-time for NRCA, so I had a sounding board. When I ran into problems, I could always talk to him about things. And I asked him one day, so, Bill, I've been out of, the out of the industry for about eight years, and I was in Congress, so who are some of the people that I need to get to know? The very first name he said was, you need to meet Charles Antis. And I remember calling Charles up about a week later. His interview turned into episode two, Roofing Industry Rallies Around an Ambitious Goal. What stood out to you about Charles when you spoke with him? you're immediately drawn to a couple things, his passion 
and his authenticity. I exist to ignite passion in others for social change. I know what fulfills me. So that's why you see that I have so much passion every day. It was so interesting to me because he took generosity and created an operating model out of it. And that's something special. I believe it is my responsibility to err on the side of generosity with all of my stakeholders. It didn't matter if his company was having a good year or a down year. They are always going to be generous. I hope the audience goes back and listens to this story again. Charles offers so many bits of wisdom throughout. We probably could have done about two episodes. Now, next, you wanted to tell the story of how Tecta America was formed, which turned into episode three, a roofing roll-up. Why did you think it was so important the roofing industry hear this story? Well, first of all, I remember when when the whole roll-up craze started about 20, 25 years ago. And for those of us who weren't really going to do a roll-up, there was a certain level of fear about it because the, it, it just seemed like the rich were getting richer and the bigger were getting bigger. And would there be a place in the market for that medium-sized traditional roofing company? And I also was intrigued because many of those early days roll-ups, those early roll-ups that started in the beginning of this, they failed for one reason or the other, but Tech America didn't. And so I thought there's a story there. Why did they work? Why did it work? Why were they so successful when others weren't? And I thought, I thought that there was a story there, and we just needed to, to dig into it a little bit. Was there anything that surprised you about their story? Yeah, there were, there were a bunch of things surprising. But for me, the biggest takeaway from that whole thing was that, um, and I can, I can relate to this because I was the tra- typical roofing contractor. I had no exit strategy. I had no exit plan. I had nobody to sell my company to uh, other other than another family member. And that's great when you have that opportunity, but a lot of people don't. A lot of companies, you know, they'll look at tech and say, oh, they're the big guys and they take all this work. But what they don't ultimately understand is that we gave them a place to sell their businesses and we increased the value of their business. We increased the value of almost every legitimate roofing company in the country. It was truly historical in the, in the, paradigm shift that took place because of companies like Tecta. You know, this was a small thing, but what I actually found really interesting was when they were putting together their roll-up, they didn't fight much about the numbers and who got what percentages. Rather, they fought about having to leave their local insurance broker. These are the guys that took them to the Masters Golf Tournament, sponsored them for their country club, you know, took them out fishing, whatever. In many cases, they're best friends. And we said, no, that's one place we can make a ton of money is through an insurance. you got to give up your local broker. And that was really hard for a lot of people. Everybody loves their insurance broker. There's a couple There's a couple relationships that every roofing company has to have. It's a relationship with your insurance and relationship with your bank. And don't mess with them. You just said multi-generational roofing companies are common in our industry. But you came to me with an interesting story twist. Tell us about it and why. Well, the twist that I gave you was that in many cases, the roofing business in a male-dominated industry that we're in passes from father to son. And there's a good friend of mine, his name is J.D. Miles, uh, Dudley Miles. Everybody knows him. He's past president of NRCA. Uh, The name of his company is J.D. Miles and Sons, but it's his daughter, Sherry, that runs a company. I thought, 
well, isn't that interesting? Are there others? And as I started looking around, there were there were quite a few of them. And so I thought, what a what a neat story to tell. It's about fathers and daughters. I'm Kelly Van Winkle, and I'm the president of King of Texas Roofing Company. I am Cheryl Chapman. I am the general manager for Empire Roofing at our corporate office in Fort Worth, Texas. I am Sherry Miles. In the J.D. Miles & Sons Company, I am vice president. And in the Miles Roofing, I am president. I thought, why don't we talk to them about what their, their life was like before they got into the roofing business, what it's like today, and what challenges did they face? And were they different than the sons that came in the business? Or was it the same thing? And uh, so we wanted to dig into that story and, and hear from them. I found it interesting that all three women interviewed had very different personalities, but they all ended up in a similar position within their family company. And they all had very different journeys to get there. When I went off to Duke, I had it in my mind that I would be a professor of Latin American studies. My degree is uh, American studies and theology. <laughs> so that's pretty much as far away from running a business, uh, especially a roofing business, as you can get. I went to TCU and was there for about a year and a half. Really, all I could think about when I was in school is working. This was your story idea. What did you find intriguing or interesting after hearing their stories? One is I saw lots of similarities to my own experience because I was the boss's kid that took over our company. And some of them had the struggle being the boss's kid. Uh, others didn't, but there was a thread that you could pull through there and you could, whether it was the son or the daughter, there were a lot of similarities and I, I found that really interesting. But intriguing was how the, the men in these companies related to these women and also how it was, it was part of these, the women and the, the, that were coming into the companies, their upbringing was different. All three of them had a different experience. You know, I remember, I remember Cheryl Chapman talking about, you know what, I, I, I saw one of the guys that worked for my dad and he was a rainmaker and I wanted to be the rainmaker in that company, you know, and, and Kelly Van Winkle talked about, you know, I didn't really feel that being female was an obstacle at all. Everybody kind of treated me just the way they would treat anybody else's kid. You know, and then and then Sherry Miles talked about how in the early days of working for her dad, before she went to college, her dad wouldn't even let her go to the to the shop. You know, she kept her away from where the guys were working. And so I, I just found the whole thing fascinating. Now, one thing that ended up on the cutting room floor was how Sherry was up on a roof actually pregnant. I can't even imagine swinging a hot mop being pregnant. You mentioned Cheryl, though. She made a point in one of her stories as she was learning how to estimate, which brought to life the importance of installers. Do you remember that story? I do. She she told the story about how her dad... I remember one time he took me on a coal tar pitch roof. He was like, get close to the kettle. And it was like burning and it was awful. And then he took me up on the roof and I think they were tearing off pitch. And he was like, now feel that, like the insulation, like it was just itchy and it was like, it burned. And he said, when you're in sales, like you need to understand what my guys go through to put a roof on and make sure that you're always making money so that you can take care of them. And it's always stuck in my head. And that it was so important to honor, respect, and treat them correctly. When you were a roofing contractor, you had a GAF salesman that you worked with named Jim Schnepper. Why did you want to do a story on Jim? 
You know, Jim is an inspirational guy, just his personality and temperament. But I watched him at age 27 go from being basically a, a sales director position at GAF to today being the president of a multi-billion dollar roofing manufacturer. And I watched him all throughout his careers he, as he moved up the, 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 the chairs there at, at GAF. And uh, occasionally during the, his career, he'd call me about different things and we'd talk about it. And we'd been friends for a long time, but I thought, wow, what a story there is there to show the opportunity that exists in the roofing industry. If you apply yourself, you work hard, uh, that you, your future is really almost unlimited. In your interview with Jim, you reminded him of a story you heard about him selling his neighbor's flowers. Who tipped you off to that story? It was one of his employees, I think. I talked to several people that uh, worked for him, and uh, they kept mentioning, you need to ask him about stealing his neighbor's flowers. You need to ask him that question. Came home with uh, some nickels in my pocket, and I said, Ma, look what I got. And she said, where did you get that? I said, I got them from the, the neighbors and the people along the street. And she said... Well, why did you? Why did they give you that money? I said I sold them flowers, and she goes, "What flowers?" And I said, "The flowers that I cut from the yard." And she goes, "Whose yard?" I go, "Their yard." And she goes, "You can't do that." You know, I thought it was fascinating. Jim wants to hear a lot of voices on any issue or new innovation, which was an idea thread that led Jim to talk about diversity. He never wants two people on the same team that think the same way. I want to hear everyone's voice. Um, I really do, that I'm leading. And I think that um, goes into a lot of the whole thing around letting people be authentic, um, allowing people to show their diversity, um, allowing people to, you know, celebrate their diversity. We are recapping some of the things we learned this season from the incredible people in the roofing industry. Which one of these leaders, after hearing their story, did I want to work for? And which one would Reed want to be more like? And we will share who the real hero was in the Chad Dunlap story, No Roofer Left Behind. All of that and more, but first. Tech to America is a well-known name in the commercial roofing community. The company has a great reputation for producing quality work and for being an employer of choice. Tecta recently celebrated its 20-year anniversary. What started as an idea by 10 individual roofing contractors has grown into the leader in our industry. Headquartered in Rosemont, Illinois, Tecta America has 76 locations spanning 31 states and employs over 3,500 employees. Much of Tecta's success is due to their business model. Each operation is run by its local management team with support from the national organization. The company's culture has been described as a combination of being financially focused and results-oriented while maintaining its local feel for the community and family. Roofing was deemed an essential service during the current COVID pandemic. This has allowed Tecta to continue to not only work, but to expand. While many industries suffered devastating losses during 2020, Tecta's locations were able to keep their employees working. Tecta has even expanded by adding four new acquisitions located in Watertown, South Dakota, Bloomington, Indiana, Akron, Ohio, and Dallas, Texas. 
Tecta prides itself on being a top employer. They offer great compensation, above market benefits, and an extensive training program that rivals any others in the industry. They put in the time, effort, and cost into creating a unique training program for their roofers, service teams, project managers, estimators, and more. Tecta is always looking for great employees. Their large geographical footprint means that they have the ability to hire in a variety of positions. Their career page at tectaamerica.com is a great place to start for anyone looking to get into the roofing industry or for an experienced tradeperson looking to join a growing, thriving company. We are recapping the great stories of the roofing industry we told during our first season of this podcast. What did we learn? What surprised us? Let's get back to it. Okay, in episode three, we learned how Tecta America was formed. Part of their success came when they were able to acquire a roll-up that didn't work out, General Roofing Services. You thought it would be a good idea to go back and tell the story of this failed roll-up, which ended up being episode six, A Company Failure Alters Roofing History. Why do you think it was so important to go back and tell this particular story? Well, because I think it completes the circle with, with the Tech to America story that, if you remember my comments earlier, that there were companies that attempted to do roll-ups that weren't successful at it. And General Roofing was one of those, and it was one of the very first roll-ups. I've been a friend uh, with Greg Wallach for 20 years. Greg and I have known each other. We've got great admiration for each other, and I especially admire what he's done with his company, Best Roofing. And I just thought, you know, if Greg would be willing to tell the story, and it, it was a difficult story for him to tell, because who wants to talk about a failure in your life? Probably one of the bigger disappointments I've had fi financially. Um, after putting this whole thing together, after... Um, having the vision, everything, and I mean, I mean, it just it just crushed me. He was gracious enough to have me come down to his office and uh, show me around, but but that was a difficult story, and I, I just felt there's a lot to learn from picking yourself up by the by the bootstrap and getting back in the game when things go south, and that's exactly what Greg did, and he made something special out of a, a bad circumstance. You said you visited Greg Wallach's current roofing company, Best Roofing. What did you find interesting on your visit to his office? Walking around the office, there are what I will call proverbs. There are these little statements and quips and stuff that, that Greg had around his office. I was struck by one in his personal office, um, and it was, uh, I, I'm probably going to forget the number, I think it was 84,600, and I said, well, what does that sign there mean? Get your calculator out for a second. Take 60 seconds times 60 minutes times 24 hours. What do you get? Every one of us gets 86,400 seconds a day. How are you gonna spend them? Yeah, the courage it took Greg to tell that story needs to be honored. Greg, we are very thankful you did. Then you interviewed Lindy Ryan for an episode titled No Room for Hostility. Tell us a little about Lindy and why you wanted people to hear her story. Lindy was the first ever um, female chairman of the board for NRCA. So after 100 plus years of NRCA's existence, it's one of the oldest trade associations in America. We finally had our first uh, female chairman. Becoming the first female chairman of the roofing industry, it was fairly monumental 
at, at least in my mind, and obviously I'm very proud to have served and to have been the first woman, but I really expected particularly more mature folks in the industry might struggle with it. And I'll tell you what, it couldn't have been further from the truth. She was selected because of her abilities, not because she was a female. And she was capable of taking it to that next level and being that leader, irregardless that she would be the first woman. That's not the real reason why we felt that, you know, that strong about her being able to do the job. We knew she could do the job. She's a person with a big heart. She is just whip smart. Um, she struggled with a, a divorce with her husband, ended up running the, the roofing company. Today, she's a senior executive at Tech to America. She's an incredible success and inspiration to me. I left Lindy's story thinking, I want to work for her. I, I left the story thinking I wanted to be like her. All right, so I'm sitting in your home Recording this interview on the wall over there is a Brett Favre jersey and Aaron Rodgers jersey. We are from Green Bay. We are big Packer fans. Anyone that knows us and knows our family knows this. Did it at all twist your stomach to do a story on roofing the Dallas Cowboys stadium? It, uh, you know, because it was the AT&T Stadium, I was teasing my friends at Capo, Steve Little, that I, I have no problem doing a, a story about roofing AT&T Stadium because it's like a home field for the Green Bay Packers in that they've never lost there. And in fact, won the first ever Super Bowl played in that stadium. So I'm, I'm OK with doing a story about the Dallas Cowboys Stadium. <laughs> right. Sure. You have been a roofing contractor for 30 years. Having seen it all when it comes to roof installation, what about this project technically did you find fascinating? It is way up in the air. It is high visibility. It is super dangerous because it's a sloped roof. It's got a pitch like a dome. It's not a true dome, but you get, most people will get the idea. And, and when I, uh, I've been to AT&T Stadium. I've been inside of it, been outside of it. And um, this, this was a Herculean roofing challenge. Cranes can't get within 50 feet of the building, otherwise there's a potential that they would have collapsed the, the earth. You'd only reach about 40% of the way up the roof. Everything up, up there had to be strapped down. You can't put a generator on wheels on a sloped roof. You have to secure every bundle of insulation up on the roof. Those membrane rolls weighed 420 pounds. On a flat roof, it takes one roofer or two to kick those out. On a roof like AT&T Stadium, it takes about eight men to handle that roll safely. Requires a lot of technical skill to not just put that roof on, but put that roof on without anybody getting hurt. Um, I wanted to hear that story. You know, you mentioned how high up in the air that job was. Something that actually didn't make it into the final edit of the story was there were foremen on the job not able to do it. Not because they didn't have the skill. Rather, the fear of heights actually got to them. Well, you've got a lot of wind in Texas, too. You're dealing with it every day. And when you're handling sheets, uh, polyisocyanate roof insulation, 48 sheets, that's like a wind sail. And uh, it, it, it was a real challenge to do that job. And it was a fun story to hear them tell. Did anything strike you as unique about the age of K-Post as a company when they got the job? Do you remember how old K-Post was when they got it? Yeah, the company was four years old when yeah. they got it. And, uh, you know, the certain amount of moxie just being willing to even bid on a project like that. Um, but, you know, when, when uh, they told the story and talked about how their cumulative experience of their leadership team had like 100 years of experience. And so that's why they, they had the moxie to go after it. But um, even after 30 years of experience in my own roofing company, uh, that would have been a job I probably would not have gone after myself. 
And so uh, kudos to, to K-Post, and I appreciated them telling this story. Yeah, they had the capacity to do the job, which was a big part of why they got it. But I was really inspired by how K-Post sold that job. They brought in their individual employee stars to answer the tough questions, and they let them shine during the sales meeting. Most people would never notice, but I actually put the old gospel hymn, This Little Light of Mine, underneath that narrative. Little things that I do that just make myself chuckle, I guess. All right, every episode, we put out a call to the audience to submit your story, and we got an email about an installer named Jimmy Lefty Cobb. We had done episodes on some high-level executives, and this was the perfect time to tell the story about a great installer. Now, I did a pre-interview with the company, and they told me glowing things about Lefty and that he had been with the company for 49 years. I don't know. I still wasn't sure that I had a story, though. Do you remember what you told me? Yeah, I told you two things. I said, I think there's two stories here, Jared. There's a story about a company whose management is so good that people want to work for them for five decades. There's a story there. And then there's a story with Lefty, a person that actually was willing to work at the same company for that time. The, the type of loyalty that was there, I think there's something special about that. Every, every company's got people that have worked for them for a long time. But when you're talking five decades, that's something special. We took that whole story and deduced it into 10 tips for retaining your workers. Go back and listen to that episode. But Jimmy Graham, the founder of the company, did leave the interview admitting that not everyone stays at his company. It, it hurts your feelings a little bit, but then once you got over it and figure out we're going to survive, we can make it, and as some move out, that offers others a chance to move up. 10 or 15 people that used to work for Graham Roofing that run their own company now, they were all trained by Lefty. Gives him pride to see some of those young guys, even though we don't have, didn't keep them in the company, we, we never regretted them moving on because that reflected well on the other people that were coming into the company. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty special. It's a really positive mindset to have because any roofing company that's been successful has probably launched dozens of other roofing companies because there's there's not a big one of the great things about the roofing industry is there's not huge barriers to entry and um, if you're training people the right way uh, you can cheer them on because good competitors are hard to find all right let's move on to the story no roofer left behind which ended up kind of being a two-part series the idea for this story came from a webinar I was hosting for our education department on suicide prevention with the guest Chad Dunlap from Frost Roofing. His story of his friend committing suicide was very powerful, so I asked if he would come on our program and tell the story. When I got into interviewing Chad, what I thought was going to be a story pointing to suicide prevention turned into a story about overcoming substance abuse. Now, you told me privately this episode was probably the best. Why? His story was gut-wrenching. I mean, his story uh, pulled almost every single emotion out of you as you listened to it. She hit us at about 55 miles an hour square in the side. The impact itself killed the driver, which is my stepfather, whereas Chad went through the windshield with my mother. Her favorite phrase to me was, you're worthless, you'll never mount to anything. You should have died in that wreck with your mother. Chad's the greatest guy to be around. He's always so energetic. No, I'm always on cocaine. He says, I have a rope hanging in the garage. I'm going to take my own life. I didn't believe him. He, he had hung himself and... He had his hands handcuffed behind his back so he couldn't change his mind. 
the overcoming of these circumstances to, to become such a, a successful partner uh, working with J.J. Smithy um, there in Ohio at Frost Roofing. That, that story appealed to just about every single emotion a human being experiences. The episode guests gave many great insights into how to help people struggling. You were a roofing contractor for over 30 years. How did you handle workers struggling with substance abuse? Sure. I, th I don't think there's a company in, a, in America today with the opioid crisis that hasn't dealt with this, that hasn't had somebody in their company that ended up being addicted to drugs. And uh, we started an, an employee assistance program back in the early 1980s. Employees are hard to come by. Good employees are really hard to come by. And so we didn't want a person who was struggling with drug addiction to live in that place, to have their lives destroyed, have their marriages destroyed, have their families destroyed. And so we went to Herculean efforts to work with any employee who was willing who's willing to confront the problem and ask for help. You are going to be there to relentlessly pick them up that they and their soul has become your addiction until they beat this addiction. And then you have to commit yourself to it 100%. No one gets left behind. JJ reminded us of the signs to look for and how to have clear procedures of what to do when there are relapses. And that includes compassionate responses while also drawing hard lines. We also are pretty strict on the other side where if you relapse and there is an issue, we're pretty strict about you can't continue. So you want to help, but they only help if you're the mindset you want it. You know, the unsung hero in this story was a person that we did not have the opportunity to interview, and that was Chad's wife, Mandy. It was really Mandy that held up Chad all those years through all the relapses, the painkiller addictions. She stayed by his side the entire way. Here's the real hero of the story, in my opinion. Someday I want to meet her. Early on into production of these stories, you started sending me interviews of a story about re-roofing the Pentagon after the attacks on 9-11. Now, my instinct was to have this podcast ready for publish near September 11th or wait until next year, the 20th anniversary. But you said you wanted to finish the season with this story. Why was that? We're in a period of time right now where it just seems like Americans are at each other's throats. And this harkened back to a tragedy that occurred when America's, Americans kind of locked arms together and said, no, you're not going to do this to us. And I just felt that in this era of political divisiveness, a story that talked about Americans pulling together and doing something for each other rather than against each other would be a powerful reminder to all of us. I asked a lot of people for money and material. Nobody ever told me no. And then the, you know, getting these phone calls from contractors from literally everywhere wanting to be part of this somehow. What do you want this story to inspire the listener to do after they hear it? I want them to view each other, their neighbor, their colleagues at work. I want them to view them as Americans as, and as people who love this country. They might see a solution differently, but just because we have a difference of opinion on solution doesn't mean we should demonize each other. And, you know, what I thought the roofing industry did at the Pentagon was that, that we collectively, all of us together, locked arms and said, we're going to do this for the good of the country and we're going we're gonna to demonstrate to the country that we can, we can pull together and do something really, really good 
for the American people by giving them this roof for free. When I drive by, I see America coming together. I see something that I was proud of, that I, I had a part in, and it reminds me of some of the great things this country has done and has the capacity to do. I would hope that America will find that type of inspiration for the future. So, season one is complete. Did we accomplish your vision? You did. And, and I had to tell you, Jared, um, the, these podcasts, in my opinion, turned out so well. Everywhere I go, um, people tell me that they're listening to the stories and uh, what they're learning, uh, how they're being inspired by the stories. And a lot of that, quite frankly, is because of the work that you've put in. What you've done here by taking what you've heard, because all you're getting from me is raw interview material. You're just getting raw interview material, and you're taking those and, and, and weaving the story in a way that makes it compelling, uh, interesting, hard-driving, gut-wrenching, uh, inspiring. And so uh, they've turned out better than I could have ever dreamed or hoped for. Thanks for your work. You know, I do work very hard on these, and uh, your words of encouragement and the words of encouragement that we get sent to us, it really honestly means the world to me. It really has been quite the honor for me to tell these stories of such an extraordinary industry. My goal this season is that you would be proud of the great work being done in the industry, that we all would be proud of the great people in this industry, and that we all learn a few things along the way. I know I have learned a lot. We are already producing the second season, great stories of thriving companies, missteps along the way, a homeless man who is now leading the charge of roofing education in his state, and a story of a murdered daughter leading to the education of hundreds of young girls in the Caribbean. A lot to look forward to. Until then, help us keep producing these episodes. You can do two things. Give the episode a rating or a comment in whatever listening platform you choose. And please, share an episode with someone who needs to hear it. Read Ribble. Dad, thank you for the idea of telling the stories of this great industry. I am your host, Jared Ribble, signing off until next season. Be well, be safe, and be proud of this great industry. And I will give the final word to our guest of honor, Reed Ribble. I can't wait for the next 12 stories. I know what's coming up. I guarantee you season two is going to be better yet.